RPS, powered by SET. Welcome to the weekly review on RPS, the radio show where two grown men and a gifted young mind discuss some of the hottest and most relevant issues in pop culture. Gladly sat here like a spring chicken. My name's Johan Wald. On my left wing is Ben Cardew III. Blackpink. <laughs> and on my right wing is Marvai Verdu. The only time I will be right wing. <laughs> Sorry for that. Through the looking glass, manning the controls is Andre 3000, a.k.a. Vlad the Inhaler. And today we'll be celebrating adolescence by talking about Italian Oscar-nominated filmmaker Luca Guadagnino's new miniseries for HBO, We Are Who We Are. We'll also talk about an unexpected reunion from the beloved cast of one of the greatest teenage high school comedies ever made, Mean Girls. So fat. We have something to say about Rihanna's Savage Fenty fashion show slash musical extravaganza, including a note of praise for Teen Vogue. And the reason why we're feeling so adolescent is because this week we finally heard The Album by Korean K-pop supergroup Blackpink, which is our album of the week. You just heard some epic riffing from one of rock's ultimate guitar heroes, Eddie Van Halen, who sadly passed away this week. He did for guitar music in the 80s what Hendrix did in the 60s, putting it centerfold and inspiring countless bands to follow his footsteps. His flair and wild style filled stadiums and helped sell a lot of hairspray cans on the side. The Hole in the Ozone may not share our grief, but he was a hell of a performer and gifted songwriter. Who shall pick up the baton and continue his legacy? Now, they may not be known for technically complicated guitar solos, but they certainly know how to fill stadiums and sell a lot more than just records. Korean K-pop supergroup Blackpink have unleashed their official debut album since they formed in 2016, even though they released a previous one exclusively for Japan and several live albums along the way. What a curious music sensation they are. So, before we get into the business of talking about this album, Mark, could you explain to our listeners who the hell Blackpink are or help me understand what the fuss is all about? Okay, I'm a little bit nervous because I want to make them justice and I don't know if I'm able to because I have my knowledge but I don't know if I can bring it out all now. But okay, it's just four girls um, named Jizo who, well, I will get into it later. Jizo, Ginny, Rose and Lisa. So there are four girls, not actually all from all of them from Korea. I think it's only Jizo who is born in Korea. And um, for example, Rose is born in New Zealand. Um, Lisa is born in Thailand. And maybe Jinita is also born in Korea. But they're all a K-pop uh, group, nonetheless. They were um, they first began in 2016, just like you said, so four years ago. So it's 
barely a, a new group, we could say, and they are already like one of the biggest musical stars there are now. And they're the first K-pop group to act in Coachella. They have more than two million um, views um, on YouTube for like the biggest record during that first 24 hours. So in the first 24 hours, they one of their video clips broke the record with two million views. Um, they're the most followed band on Spotify, on YouTube as well, and in many, many other platforms. Lisa, for example, is the most followed K-pop star on Instagram. They have the biggest records ever, and the album, the album, like their album that just came out this week, um, was super, super anticipated for many fans because they took like kind of a hiatus this last year. They came out with a, a Kill This Love on April last year, but they haven't um, released anything else. Um, so the fans were expecting. The fans were ready to get new music because they haven't had, they have don't have that big of a repertorium of songs. They just have a few um, singles and uh, an EP, but not that much. So people were really expecting, and their the the, al the album had one million pre-orders before it was even released. So imagine <sighs> the people really wanted to to hear from them. I mean, Ben, do you remember how many how many bands can you think of that had s m so many thousands and millions of fans before actually dropping a date an album, you know, or having a body of work to to sing live? Menswear. Men's. Oh <laughs> my God, we were talking about this the other day. Menswear. They 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 actually called themselves a band before they they actually picked up an instrument. They were on top of the pops before they even released a song. Wow. So it's not quite the same thing, though, is it? Actually, it's interesting because I I wasn't sure about whether this was you know properly their debut album. I want to know how fans saw it. Um, we're we're going to be listening to later. Not not quite now, but we've got an interview. Um, with the head of the the UK Blinks fan organisation. But I I asked her like. Is this seen by fans their debut album? And she said yes, because Blackpink and New Area was a, basically a collection of Japanese songs that had already been released. So it's like a, a greatest hits album. <laughs> and she said they went through what we think of as a drought when we uh, got what felt like 50 different Japanese repackages, um, and that was one of them. So it is very much um, their debut album. But they really haven't been around for all that long I suppose I guess maybe it's, it's kind of a, a long time um, for their uh, to get to their debut album but you know uh, they're still a relatively new act I would say well, I mean it's, it's, it's fascinating the mm -hmm. way K-pop works and obviously everybody well we kind of all know that behind all these K-pop acts there are these incredible uh, talent agencies uh, entertainment companies right behind Blackpink uh, the, the, the label or the, the company is called YG Entertainment and just so you can get an idea of their stratospheric financial clout they were able to invest a hundred million dollars developing an industrial company complex, presumably to build laboratories to manufacture performing cyborgs, because listen to me, we will get to see mm. the first pop star androids and they will be manufactured by YG Entertainment. You know, I, I do believe that this is possible. Um, so then, you know, it's not exactly a small little talent agency. This is, th these th these people uh, are on, on La Bolsa in, in, in the stock market, I think. Uh, is it, isn't it a little bit dark? Isn't there a bit of... You hear all these stories about suicides and depressions. Yeah, um, I think we have to take our mindset to a different kind of... Mm, maybe culture or understanding of pop 
stars, but basically it's the same as Hollywood, like you said, and the Backstreet Boys and all of these um, boy bands are basically the same, but they have this, um, like it's a career path. You can go to um, university or you can be a trainee f to become an idol, which is what they're called. And for example, I read that Ginny uh, was six years being a trainee until she was picked up by an agency and then she had to release, um, train um, and be, then you, you have to go through phases and then you end up on a, if you're lucky, on a big um, pop group and then you are released from, not released from the agency, but the agency puts you on the market. So fans know like this is going on and they can um, vouch for something for someone May maybe they're they get with um, Jeannie and they want her to to go through the phases and then the agency sees that she's getting popular and then even before the group is out the people know about it and the people get excited about it so Blackpink fans were were a thing before Blackpink was even out so that's why it's so big. And that's why they're called a super group, because they were already famous before yeah, they of, got together. Yeah. Ah, now, okay, okay, now I understand. I mean, it's 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 fascinating, really, because it's it's not bad. You know, it's it's comparable to the military. You know, if you want to become a, a general, you know, you've got to go through the grueling life of a soldier and go up, go up the ranks. This is the same way. There's, it's not maybe much different. But apart from strict, very strict gym routines and harsh diets, they're not allowed to date so that they can be more appealing to fans. I mean, I thought the whole point of becoming a pop star or a rock star is getting to make love to as many people as possible, as time and energy allows, always with, with consent and respectfully. Uh, but what's the point of going through all that if you can't go on dates? I mean, imagine telling Robbie Williams or Jerry Halliwell back in the day that they can't eat, they've got to get up at five in the morning every day, work out like Usain Bolt, and they're not allowed to enjoy the spoils of being a global megastar. I mean, you get more benefits working in a chemistry lab. But hang on, let me just interject at that moment. I'm sure at some, pe at some point, at early point Spice Girls, early point to take that, people did say that to Robbie Williams and Jerry Halliwell. Like, I think the K-pop industry is made out to be this incredible, like, new, difficult thing, whereas kind of a lot of these things have already happened, you know, have always happened mm -hmm. with pop groups, have happened, you know, even back with the Beatles back in the 60s, you know, they had to get up and play like 5,000 gigs and do all these kind of interviews, and John Lennon wasn't allowed to tell people he was married, you know? So... This has this has happened before, you know. It, it's okay. It's probably a fairly extreme version of, it, and I'm not denying that there, you know, there have been some very sort of dark incidents within the industry. But at the same time, was it not ever thus in the pop music industry? True. And if you think of it, the Beatles, what it was, ten years of their life, and they've been able to. Well, the, the ones who still remain alive, they still live off the fat of all that record catalogue. Mm. And I guess it's the same with K-pop stars. You know, they, they, this does have a time, uh, an expiry date, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it, and, it's, and it's like that with any pop star's career. They all end up, some of them don't uh, manage to have their fans move on along with them. You know, you're a teen sensation or you're fabulous in your 20s, but all of a sudden you get to the 40 mark and either you switch to the ballads and the, and the torch songs or, you know, you can become Dolly Parton or something like that. But anyway, uh, Ben, you've been chatting with a Blackpink fan, have you? Not just any Blackpink fan. Um, so I basically, one of the phenomenon that pop stars have these days is they have very organised fan groups, um, like Rihanna has her Navy, for example. Um, and Blackpink fans are called Blinks. And I, I found this fascinating when you get these really organised groups of fans who actually 
work for their particular groups. Like I, I wrote something recently about about um, K-pop and BTS fans in particular, and they, I think I mentioned this before, they're organised to actually translate mm-hmm. things that, that go on social media in, in Korean. They translate them into English and Spanish and various other languages. And I find this, this, this idea of like a fan base who'll work for people and actually put the time in genuinely fascinating so i reached out to a few uh i reached out to the blackpink uk the uk blinks um twitter account um and uh they were nice enough to get back to me i really really uh, appreciated this um and i spoke to um one of the uh administrators she's called phoebe she gave me a bit of background um about everything that was that was happening it was her that told me about you know it was considered an album um, and also she dropped us a few audio notes introducing herself talking a little bit about Blackpink um, and the album I wanted to uh, to play that if I may just to give us a sort of really interesting introduction this is Phoebe my name is Phoebe and I am one of the two leaders of UK Blinks Blackpink's main fan base in the UK as a fan base admin my role has two main aspects first giving information to blinks in the uk about blackpink sales and events second and probably more important is trying to hide blinks and keep up high energy and motivation during each comeback period the first thing i knew of blackpink was a performance on a korean music show in 2016. i remember watching jenny leap into the air and be caught and carried by the other members singing while they held her and i was really shocked by how much trust there was between the members of this brand new group since then, Blackpink have been known for their relentless quality. Quality over quantity. Their album is shorter than we'd like, but there's no throwaway track, no filler. The same is true of the rest of their career. Everything they touch becomes a massive event that people hold their breath and wait for. At UK Blinks, we led a fan project that involved the distribution of banners. From the front row, I could speak to several of the venue staff who were shocked by the atmosphere of Blinks filling the arena with Korean singing even before the show had started. The group have worked with three of the biggest female artists in the world this year, Selena Gomez, Lady Gaga and Cardi B. All three speak very highly of Blackpink and Selena described them as the most dedicated and hardworking people she had ever worked with. Blinks have seen that from the very beginning and it's really exciting to know that people across the world are starting to see those qualities too. We didn't know what to expect from the album before it was released. Their name Blackpink comes from the duality, so we'd already heard them experiment with so many different styles before. It's safe to say that none of us are disappointed with the album. It has everything we wanted. Meaningful lyrics, slick production, sharp raps from Jenny and Lisa, and enchanting performances from the vocalists. Between the skill of the rappers, Jisoo's rich and husky voice, and Rosé's agile and textured voice, their sound has so many different flavours. Each member gets to shine. Most Blinks would give you a different answer when asked what's their favourite track. A lot of Blinks are particularly excited by Lovesick Girls because it represents Jenny and Jisoo's first writing and production credits. Myself, I favour Pretty Savage. The piano introduction sets the tone so well for what turns out to be a fairly aggressive song and it's fun to hear them try something different again with their voices. I would kill, no, I wouldn't kill, but I would, <laughs> right. I, would, I would give my left earlobe if I could feel as passionate for a band like uh, Blackpink fans do feel mm-hmm. about them. I mean, I used to be like that when I was a teenager, but... Uh, oh, be- 
I know. I, I I I feel bad about having to review this album with my because I'm not I'm not for it. So I'd rather Ben. You start okay, with I, I am. I don't know if it's just be because I've been speaking to Blinks or whatever. No, it's not because I was reading this album before. I think this is a fabulous album. I, do you know one of the things I really liked is she said it's a little bit short. Well, it's eight songs, twenty four minutes, and that for me is the absolute perfect length. I don't know if this is a theme we're sort of settling into, but I'm getting a bit bored of albums being being too long, like our friends the 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 Fleet Foxes. Don't go there. Don't <laughs> trash my favorite album of the year <laughs> and the, so the thing is okay it's like she's it's like she says there are eight songs on this and they are all brilliant and each song contains so many parts it's like really maximalist pop there's so much to get your teeth into that it doesn't feel like a sort of minor work it feels like real pleasure and enjoyment over 24 minutes lots to get your your, your teeth into and nothing you would fast forward and when was the last time there was an album there was nothing you wanted to fast forward on you know, I have I have my favourites, but I would say everything on this album uh, is at least an eight. And I was listening to it, and I said, I think okay. So there, there was a there was a criticism, um, in I think it was the LA Times, which said, oh well, this is very behind with everything that's happening in modern pop music, which I thought was absolute nonsense because what he means is this is very behind with what's happening in my limited view of American pop music. This is a very global global album. It's not for America, it's not for Britain, it's not for Spain, it's not for it's for everywhere. And I think it does that very well. I mean like essentially the production is a sort of mixture of EDM and trap, which is pretty modern if you ask me. But what they do and I think I don't know if this is like a signature, this is something they were trying to do, but there seem to be quite a lot of weirdly detuned elements on it, which gives it a real lovely texture. I mean, if you think about it, um, a song like, trying to think which one it was, um, Pretty Savage, Pretty Savage, which uh, was her favourite song, and I think is possibly mine as well. It opens with this piano, and it's vaguely detuned, and then you've got this weird synth that takes up the same instrumental hook, and it's just, it's a very... It doesn't make you think, oh, that's weird, but I think it just has enough weirdness to like sort of activate very interesting parts of your brain. Also, there are hooks and hooks and hooks and hooks in this. Every single song has like at least five different bits that, that could be the chorus. Um, and Crazy Over You, for example, another of my favourites, I put my favourite question mark here. Again, the, the, the kind of sounds it uses, it's like Bollywood strings, rave stabs, uh, Brazilian, is it Kuka? As it said, mm-hmm. um, and what sounds, and I've taken this from a, uh, the Guardian review, what sounds like a Japanese gotan, and you've got sub bass going on in there. It's a really fascinating, wonderful mix, um, and I am all in. Mar, what about you? Um, I know you like BTS. <laughs> I, I like BTS. I like the idea of K-pop in general. So I was for it just to begin with, and um, at first maybe I was not really into it but maybe it's because i was doing other things and i was expect i don't know what i was expecting but at first i was kind of disappointed but then i started just listening to tracks by themselves like oh maybe i want to rehear this one because i don't remember what it sounded like and then i started getting into it and then i saw the music videos and then i went and to their instagrams and and saw the promotional pictures and all of this gave me the full experience that it i think it's what makes k-pop i think you you have to see the music videos you have to see the promotional stuff they have been doing you have to get the full package to understand what k-pop is and you get this uh, the fashion the music the the extravaganza everything is is 
all these different forms. See, I think that's very well said. I love bands that create their own world. Okay, like if you listen to, oh, I'm gonna have to say the Smiths. All right, um, yeah, we all know, we all know what's happened to Morrissey. But if you listen to the Smiths, okay, you you immediately know they, they've got this world around them it's like okay that's a very smith's film that's a very smith's image that's a very smith's book that kind of thing same thing with Craftwork, right and i think blackpink do this because when you uh look at their videos for example they've got a very specific kind of black pinkness to them mm. you know kind of ravey and shiny but also quite dark mm. and i remember the first time i listened i, I listened to them when I looked at the videos, ah, oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense with with the sound, and I, I I love that, and I think again that's a thing that a lot of a lot of pop bands don't quite pull off, you know, because like what for example is um, a oh I don't I don't want to say this uh, like all right what what's like a Justin Bieber image, you know, like what image would you say is purely Justin Bieber, sorry, I know you love, I know you love <laughs> Justin Bieber, but he seems to be like trying on other people's images. You know, he's a bit sort of and that, that's fine. But like Blackpink are sort of creating their own world. Mm. Mm. But this is the the world that Blackpink uh, have built in my head, uh, having been to Seoul myself and and cities like Tokyo. The part that I don't like about those cities is when you walk into those malls and there are malls everywhere and it's all hyper color. LED screens, you know, it's that cliche of Korean technology, right? And in in song, and it's and it's and and there's so many changes in the song. I like hyper pop. I like the fact that K-pop has become such a major dominant influence in pop all over the place. But what I I I I, I don't know. It just found it. I, I found the sound a little bit tame. Uh, I'm not expecting them to be all of a sudden making the kind of hyper pop that could fit on Warp Records or stuff that 100 Gex or AG Cook is doing, you know, the, fair enough. They're, 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 they're purists of K-pop, we could say. But I felt there was a lack of quality considering there is so much money behind this. I, and I mean, I swear, I mean it in the, not lack of qu songwriting quality or anything. I meant there's a sound that sounds like um, tinny. It doesn't sound lush. It doesn't, I don't know, maybe I need to put it on some bigger speakers, but... I was listening to it on headphones, and I, I was, it felt a little bit made in time. But you know, I think almost that sort of tinny sound is that is part of the detuned thing that I like. Hmm. Um, that because if you do listen to it on on decent speakers, there's lots of bass that is going on, but they do have that weirdly slightly scratchy sound, which again yeah. distinguishes them. So you don't like it, and, uh, and the tinny, and, uh, the tinny sounds plastic <laughs> or plastic, plastic and not re non reusable. All right, but but who else has that kind of sound? Doesn't it sound like a, a sort of signature, in a way? Yeah, I think they were trying something new because uh, the other singles and EPs they have, the, it's super um, bass level and the vocals are there, but the bass and the electronics take over a lot. Um, and this one, you can hear a lot of their voice. You can see even the differences. You can imagine, oh, this is... Mm, maybe uh, Rose's voice and, and this is Jeannie singing and this is blah 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 and you can hear them like showing off their voice showing off what they can do because apart from being performers and being these kind of social media influencers because they have this huge influence but they're also singers and and they have a good range of voice and I think that was kind of different from other things they have 
as I, as I said, you know, I don't want, I, I, I hate to compare them, but the fact that they have influenced people like Charlie XCX, you know, she's on record as saying that K-pop has influenced the way she sees pop music. And I loved Charlie XCX's last album that she released uh, earlier this year. That for me was like, wow, this is the future of pop. So the fact that the bands like Blackpink and the whole K-pop movement is inspiring people to push pop forward and they still sound like uh, what K-pop sounded like four years ago. I don't know, for a debut album, I just felt uh, I was a little bit conned. And some of the songs I found a little bit condescending. Like, what? It sounds like an adult male's vision of what teenage girls are supposed to sound like. The, uh, the teenage girls I grew up with, they read way more interesting books than I did. They had pictures of Eddie Vedder on their folders. Okay, this is me being a oh, 90s grunge, oh, Seattle rocks. Okay, but no, 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 not just that. You know, we could watch Saved by a show like Saved by the Bell together, but we would also watch movies by Gus Van Sant, right? They weren't all like, and, and we could all have like, enjoy bubblegum pop and have our guilty pleasures, but there's ways of making commercial bubblegum pop that has some artistic edge. For instance, Chai, the Japanese uh, uh, qu quartet, or Hannah Diamond, for instance. But this album doesn't go anywhere near those limits, so that's why I felt a little bit like, meh. Okay, okay, how many hits has Hannah Diamond had? How many hits have Chai had? Not big hits, but the, the quality is there. The, there's, a there's a pop quality, shall we say, that is also kind of pushing boundaries. But you see, there's a reason that Blackpink are so big, and there's a reason they've had really big hits off this album. It's like, it's incredible songs. I can It gives me the impression it was like, they're working all day on these songs, and when they get something really good, that's the only thing that goes out. It's like, okay, there's loads of people, we're going to work on this, we've got something really good. Right, that that's it, you know? And I, I, I really like Charlie XCX as well, I really do, but I don't think she quite has the level of melody and hooks you get. On, on the album, but there's that that multi-layered uh, maximalist chaos going on that that is almost works like a trance. As I say, I was listening to it while I was cooking with my headphones, the Charlie XCX album, and and I got transported into this galaxy of multicolor. Whereas with this album, I mean, for instance, the, this is a this this company can afford the, to hire the best hit makers in the world. And they hired David Guetta, really? I mean, not to throw shade on David Guetta. He's Apart written, from you are. Well, well, I mean, he's he's written, he's defined m mainstream radio for almost a decade with the dance pop sound. But I think that sound has become way too stale to kind of go to that guy to, to, to collaborate on the debut album of this huge behemoth of a band. There's no clear banger. There's not like, you know how sometimes you hear uh, one song a first time and it sticks? Like, for instance, that uh, Renaldo and Clara, once, I heard it once, and it's stuck in my brain for a week now. Since, bam, it's been stuck in my head. Every time I hear it, it's like, it's kind of irritating, but at the same time, I like it. It's like, mm, guilty pleasure, perfect, perfect pop song. Here, Lovesick Girls, okay? That's the one that's kind of sticks out because I like that kind of coconut kind of sound, the thing that goes on in the background. It's like, oh, I like that sound. It's an almost banger, and... Much respect to the fact that uh, Jenny and Jizu get writing credits on that song, so it shows that these aren't just marionettes controlled by greedy managers. You know, they actually do get to be creative. And I'm even willing to bet that they they kept it simple on, on purpose, like trying to keep it as, uh, as basic as a creative challenge, you know. But it sounds like it's made for a Bratz Dolls commercial. Oh my god. But maybe that was the intention. Maybe they wanted the Brad Doll commercial so sound. You know, it, it's also a, a 
thing you could do and maybe that's what they aspire to do maybe they aspired not to break any boundaries but to make the first album they weren't just they just wanted to do them just not trying to do anything other i mean i think if 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 like the whole album was produced by david guetta and sounded like lovesick girls that then that would be fair enough but it's one song of eight and among all the others you've got some mind-boggling stuff i mean like 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 i mentioned the crazy over you with its incredible sort of uh weird list of of instruments and pretty savage with its detuned piano it, it it's it's crazy and there's all these little changing bits that I really like. Look, I'm no big fan of Dave Getter, but ever so occasionally he produces an absolute banger. And yes. also, again, this is like... This is still a very, very big sound. You know, you turn on the radio here in Spain, like you turn on pop radio, what are you more likely to hear, a trap beat or a 4-4 four, four beat? Uh, now, 4-4 uh, four, four beat still. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and trap, really, yeah. Yeah, but it's like it's still really... As I, this one saying it's a globe it's a global album so you've got these kind of like global song for for, for mm-hmm. people who still really like that sound and also i got to say love love sick girls um is one of the reasons i like it. I, th- I think sort of phoebe uh mentioned it briefly was that because it does really sound like they get writing credits and you can sort of imagine you were talking about earlier about how these groups aren't allowed to date well maybe this is their their response to it it's felt very heartfelt to me which I really oh. liked and it was kind of like that moment on on the record where I was less taken by the production but I was more taken by the sheer uh, emotional force of the lyrics yeah in- because they say in, a, in in the lyrics they say we're meant to be alone and maybe they're saying like yeah we're meant to be alone because we cannot date but mm, here we are singing about it this is harsh you know mm-hmm. because my girlfriend was really hooked on a on a Korean soap opera and it, I can't remember the name and there's they're, they're really good I, I'm, I'm a fan of Korean soap operas and everything Korean and and Bong Joon-ho's movies mm-hmm. and etc etc et cliches <laughs> but um, th- there's it's kind of worrying that but uh, it's 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 uh, just like Japan. Women have a lot of uh, s- uh, stress to get married before they hit thirty, because otherwise they 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 don't they're not they're almost uneligible, right? And it's it's really it's it's quite a strong pressure. So if you're in a K-pop band, not allowed to date until you get to the thirties, really, which is when you probably get released from your contract. Then what's what's left? Obviously, you're probably a millionaire. And you exactly. Can- I think they don't really care about getting married now. They're like, okay, my life, my life's another thing. I'm on another level. I know, I know. But look, okay. Then they, uh, I, I did like the Selena Gomez um, co- uh, collaboration. I thought they worked really well, and I think the Cardi B match was also really good. But again. When when you put when you feature a famous another famous artist from a different country or whatever or wh- whatever you know I expect something better from mm-hmm. the from the fusion of the two. For instance, Aerosmith with Run DMC. That, you know we're still listening to it at weddings. Rock this way, right? Or even Rosalia with J Balvin. Boom! That was like the two of them made a, a, a pow one of the biggest hits of the summer, and it's going to stay a hit forever. Or one of my favorite, oh, God. All for One with Sting, <laughs> Brian Adams and Rod Stewart. Now that's a great example of joining a few famous names to great to create an even greater single. None of this is happening just because they brought Cardi B on. It's not memorable. But the thing I really liked about Cardi B was they they 
Cardi B fit really well into their world. You know how sometimes people bring in a rapper on, it's just like, it, it doesn't fit at all. It's just like, all right, let's get this right. Jay-Z this... on any, every Coldplay song that he raps on? Oh my God, exactly, exactly. Um, or Coldplay featuring the Jay-Z album. That was, oh, that was a terrible song. But this works really well. I think it's like they, 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 it's like they, they open Blackpink world and sort of gently invite Cardi B in who doesn't swear apparently I, yeah I love that that Cardi B who just released WAP and is always swearing and being Cardi B on, on Instagram that she showed and they showed they can be a match even if they don't seem like they could ever ever in a million years be a match they showed it they can work together and, and make a good song I love that can I, I just wanted to bring up something about BTS, actually, and that I read the other day that was really interesting. In South Korea, all able-bodied men between the ages of 18 and 28 must serve in the military for up to two years. Now, the oldest member of BTS, Jin, is turning 28 in December. Yep. So this military service might um, derail BTS because they're all going to have to do it. And in fact, there's, there's this absolutely insane proposal that has been made um, that I'll just briefly explain. There's these, these rocks called the Lian Court Rocks in the Sea of Japan, which are disputed between uh, South Korea and Japan. And they've been controlled by Seoul since 1954, but they're claimed by Tokyo, right? And some people are saying what we should basically do is have BTS go to the Lian Court Rocks to basically saying, look, these are Korean and bring, uh, bring attention to them. <laughs> what a crazy idea. Uh, all right, well, try and convince me a little bit more. How about we listen to a bit more from one of the songs on the album? Are you convinced? That was a very, very, very short amount. But like, hang on, in that, in that bit, it had three instruments. What would you want? I mean, yeah, I like the fact that it, it, it sounds very exotic. You know, it almost reminds me of when Beyonce did Baby Boy, was it, with uh, Sean Paul? Yeah, yeah, another great collaboration. Baby Boy. They didn't have a kind of Middle Eastern-y kind of, I don't know, gimmick. Blinks, but, I'm with you. I love the album. Johan prefers <laughs> Sting, Brian Adams and Rod Stewart. That was a, that, that's what you called, well, that wasn't a duet, that was a triet. And, and Ma, are you on board? Are you in the yeah, Sting, but, Brian Adams and Rod Stewart boat? Uh, no, not that. I, I'm a black pink blink forever, thinking about the collaborations. All right. I, 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 am, I am definitely for K-pop and Blackpink and stuff, and I expect a lot more from them. I'm going to be just <laughs> like their managers, demanding, demanding, with my, uh, etc. Um, with my machine gun. Speaking of machine guns. Uh, oh, what a link. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I was, I was struggling. Uh, no, no, no. You didn't struggle. A few weeks ago, HBO premiered We Are Who We Are, a mini-series written and directed by one of my favorite film directors, Luca Guadagnino, a director who has established a personal and recognizable visual aesthetic that is starting to upset his haters much like Wes Anderson does. You can always tell it's a Guadagnino movie because there will always be a decadent and tastely decorated Italian villa at some point, scenes where there are marble statues, his characters are incredibly privileged, stylish and wear iconic accessories, and uh, Tilda Swinton usually appears in many of his films, like in Wes Anderson's. <laughs> so anyway, in his first foray into television, Television, like David Lynch, he sheds nothing of the traits that make him instantly recognizable. This is the story of teenagers living on an American military base in Italy, 
which is an original setting that allows for him to play with American iconography, situations and dilemmas, while still retaining his favorite backdrop, Italy. The fictional military base is in Chioggia, Chioggia. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. It's on the outskirts of Venice. So we get to see American multiracial kids hanging out in Italian bars and watching traditional Venetian parades, dealing with lust and breakups and all the extreme emotions that make them so fascinating, even to adult audiences. Have you had the chance to see this show? Yes, I was expecting this. I know this was going on. I think they started hinting they were filming this, I think, like a year ago, or it felt like a year. And I know Kit Cudi was there, Luca Guadagnino was filming it, and I was like, okay, I'm on it, sign me up, I'm here a thousand percent for it. And finally it's here, and, and I really like it, and I don't know if I'm being biased because I already love all the ingredients they had beforehand but I am really 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 liking this show and I think it's a super interesting way of telling a story uh, it's not like it has a super big plot and there's all this stuff happening and I, I think it's the intention of, of the director um, much like Call Me By Your Name it, it did have a plot but it was not this action based fast paced plot mm. it, it's just like a like a poem you have to yeah. enjoy it and and take it at your time and i really like it and um i didn't know i wasn't expecting it to be about this topic i was expecting a call me by your name 2.0 but in a mini serious form about <laughs> these people in italy and it's this army thing of that i didn't even maybe I, i'm uncultured and everybody know but i didn't know that america had like military bases in each country and it's built almost like a city so you're basically in america there mm. and these kids have to follow their parents so we, I, I thought about it and it made sense what are you going to do if your parents in the military thing and they have to move every i don't know every two years or so yeah. you will have to follow them you're underage you have no no say in this and uh, it's it's fascinating to see this and i read about it and a lot of um, celebrities have uh, have lived this life. Amy Adams, I think she um, helped um, Luca um, directing all this stuff because she was one of these kids when she was younger. Obviously, her I think her father was on the military, yeah. and I I don't know. I and I heard they they kind of behave on a special a special way. Like they're. They're American <laughs> to begin yeah. with, um, but also they're teens. But also they live this chaotic life that's changing every now and then, and they don't have a real structure. And they're called army brats. Army brats. That's yeah. perfect definition of what the, we're dealing with here. And I think it's a very interesting, beautiful story First, about queer army brats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of queerness going on. And you said, I think you wrote something about the supermarkets, no? In these military bases. Yeah, um, I, uh, one of, oh, my, just to sidetrack a little bit, the girl that plays, I don't know her name, the blonde girl, is Martin Scorsese's daughter. I was like, what? Okay, um, she is phenomenal acting. Everyone is phenomenal, phenomenal on the, this. I think the casting is fantastic. Um, but yeah, this girl, um, she's talking to the main character. Well, they're all main characters, but this guy who is new in the in this base in Italy. And, and she explains to him, well, the supermarkets are 
exactly the same disposition in each country that the that America has a base on, and um, because so this the people feel more like they are rooted somewhere. They don't feel this ah. lost. They don't. But they're changing exactly. Constantly, yeah. So they oh I know where the potatoes are. So I'm I'm at home. I'm not a completely different <sighs> country. And and it's so interesting to see these little facts of something I didn't even know existed. And it's fascinating to see how Luca makes these characters super conflicting. And but you even if you hate them and you want to slap them on the face sometimes, <laughs> um, you understand them. You. I I just love how it's written and how it's developed and I don't know. Well, it's because you know the first episode centers on 14-year-old Fraser, which is played by Zach Dylan Grazer, who we saw in Stephen King's revamped It. Right, so he's a bit of work, and like you said, you feel like slapping him nearly every all throughout the episode because he's he's he, he's really good as an actor. He plays the typical uh, misunderstood emo teenager, <laughs> you know, but uh, who's got a very strange and close relationship with his mother, who is played by Chloe Sevigny. I didn't even recognize her. I saw it when I. Read about it. It was like what? I to me, Chloe is just the it girl of um, a few years ago, and I was like the mother. She's excellent doing playing the mother. She has this like duality of being super strict as the the head military. General. She's the yeah, general. She's, ex- she's the colonel in. and everything. I, she plays it really well. And then the, it's she also plays the the other phase of this character that the mother that's very not forgiving, but she lets the this child do anything he wants and um, I don't know it's excellent and it's mind-blowing that it's Chloe Seven doing yeah yeah it's 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 a very layered character and, and playing her why her well the, the other mother of of, of uh, Fraser is Alicia Braga uh, but the, it's weird because the, in in the first uh, episodes that I've managed to see, she comes off more like an elder sister, like the relationship she has with him, rather than the his other mother who who's who's raised him since he was born, right? Even though he came out of supposedly Chloe Seven Chloe Sevigny's character's womb, you know they, they they're both his mothers, but one is one is closer and the other one is more like uh, the cool sister who bails him out all the time, and uh, but. Uh, the 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 star for me is um, Caitlin. Yeah. The this new this newcomer. Uh, I'd never seen her. I, I think it's her first acting yeah. job in a, at least in a, in a TV show. And uh, she is she is mesmerizing. Uh, and and the chemistry that she has with Fraser uh, by episode three, they're incredible to watch together. Uh, the, as you know, they become best friends, and there's this lovely relationship. It's very naive, but at the same time, it's it's deep. And they understand each other without mm. having to explain exactly what they're. They understand each other at not understanding anything. They're both lost in life. They don't have a clue of what's going on. They're angry. They're teens. They're and they they imagine that they make the perfect kind of couple. We could say they're exploring together. Now, and another thing that caught me, that made me, I don't know. It's a little bit weird for me. Is like the fact that Kid Cudi plays Caitlyn's dad, right? And she has an elder brother who's also a teenager. He might be like six, 16, 17, I don't know. But he doesn't look that much younger than Cudi physically. So it's a bit strange seeing a, a mid-30s man with teenage sons who look like his younger siblings. But that's my problem because in Spain, people don't start having kids until they're well into their 30s. 
In fact, it's pretty normal to see people, Kid Cudi's age, still <laughs> living with their parents. So, so I guess it's a military American thing yeah. where if you're a soldier since you're young, you you meet, you know, you 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 choose that life. You so marry you start really really young. If yeah. you've seen the last episode, you, yeah, you can see that they do things very fast. Yeah. Just <laughs> Yeah, get yeah. their life very fast. Maybe it's because since they're since they're kind of uh, educated to go into battle someday, mm -hmm. maybe they think, look, my lifespan might not be that long, so I got to start forming. Exactly, and they need know. some uh, stability. Like I'm going two years away to fight in this random country and to kill people, but uh, you have to keep grounded. Like, oh, I have a wife, or oh, I have this and that and that. And if you don't have anything that it's strong enough, you maybe go crazy super yeah. easily. So that's why they're, yeah, let's get married, let's get married, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> let's have kids. And there's, there, it also shows how, you know, on the military base, there's these huge screens which project like Donald Trump speeches, mm -hmm. like rallying up the mm -hmm. troops. Uh, so Luca Guadagnino also manages to keep it very current and have little, um, well, just it's very observational he's not making a critic uh, a critique he's just sort of showing what it what it's probably like how how well how the military is kind of um, constantly bombarded with this kind of uh, american propaganda mm -hmm. on italian soil but then these kids go out and and they speak italian that i think is a little bit fan fantasy I, no? i don't know since i didn't even know this kind of life could exist i I didn't get that, so I thought maybe once they get to a new country, they learn the language, or they've been in Italy, for example, for longer. Maybe they're here for five years. Maybe it's not every two years. It could be every two years, but maybe you can stay five years on the same country. I don't know. I was like, okay, so they all know Italian except by the new one, which is obvious he just got there. And yeah. uh, watching the last episode, uh, this, that's been you know they they put they. They premiere a new episode each week. Um, I th something was different, right? There's, there's. I won't, I won't give it too much away, but there's like a, a party scene, right? It's basically all of the all of the teenagers are together. They're finally they're they're now a pack. It's no longer Fraser and Caitlin on their own and stuff. Now there's like this whole gang, and as I was watching it, it's like something feels different here. Something feels different. What is it? What is it? And by the f by the end of the episode, I realized. This is the first time that I think I've seen a, 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 an American show or a show with American characters where the racial diversity is totally equal. Like, and it's not a, it's not like when you when you see a lot of um, like black characters on screen, it's because the story is set in the ghetto or in a in a, in a black atmosphere. But here. It's like it's totally balanced. There's like some Italian kids. There's the there's the, and there's the American military brats, and it's like wow. There's all these black guys and black girls, but but it's not like there's not it, they're not making a thing about mm -hmm. the race. It doesn't feel forced either. It doesn't feel like oh they had to make a an equality thing and they had to put um, black actors. It feels natural. It feels like it should be this way, and it's it's not. Oh, this is the black character. This is uh, his personality yeah. is being the black character. Exactly. No, it's, it's just characters, and they're doing and they're doing their their their, their thing. teenage things. Mm. And to compare it with Euphoria, which is the other hit show on HBO about teenagers, 
This feels more realistic and natural, or at least closer to home. Maybe it's because it's the Italian, the European gaze, shall we say. And while drug addiction and rampant sexual activity does happen amongst teenagers, the euphoria is a bit sensation. I found it a bit sensationalist and cautionary and judgmental, very American. Whereas Guadagnino's version feels more relaxed. No, mm. nothing gets too out of hand with these kids. And I felt it mirrored my own experiences as a teenager in a way. And and the drama is suggested and abstract rather than rammed down your throat like oh you know was well, just euphoria you know all of a sudden euphoria really makes you scared to be a parent <laughs> but then it's like a ver, this is hyper fiction or well maybe not so hyper hmm. it's yep uh, you've made me want to watch it. I haven't seen it, as you'd probably guess, by my incredible silence. But you definitely, <laughs> definitely made me want to watch it. Apart from, I don't think I can handle the fact that Close Avenue is playing like a mother to old, older children and Kid Cudi. That's that's a bit. Also, also, I forgot to say it. Another thing why you should watch it: uh, the soundtrack is um, supervised. Uh, yes, uh, supervised or created or I don't know for by Blood Orange, which is the, the bad. Yeah. Hein, Devon Hines? De- Devon, De- Devontae Hines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, from Blood Orange. So and, and it's out, Yes, I think it came out yesterday or something, so you can listen it on Spotify as well. I mean, yes, uh, uh, I'm going to spoil it. Last night, okay, now I won't say which one, but there's a moment where uh, a Frank Ocean song plays and it, it it's almost a bit too obvious and this is something that uh, Luca Guadagnino haters kind of uh, stab him for you know he's like ah sometimes he's so snobby and he's he's trying to be so cool all the time he always gets <laughs> the coolest things and the coolest like he gets he creates these pop moments you know Chloe, Se- Chloe Sevigny's black sunglasses with her military uniform and putting a Frank Ocean song it's it's a bit too obvious but it just works so well um, so I, I'm, I'm on board I love Luca Guadagnino's snobby vision of teenage army brats well let's have a listen to one of the songs from that soundtrack this is young ma with ooh yo bro i think i had too much hennessy man this hennessy getting to me i ain't gonna lie i'm a little smash i'm a little dress but we in the club man oh yeah, they hate, but they broke them. And when it's time to pop, they have no show. Yeah, I'm pretty, but I'm So diversity, uh, as we say, is, is much celebrated in that show. And another pop cultural moment thing that's been happening these, this week uh, that celebrates diversity and uh, all kinds of shapes and sizes was Rihanna's uh, fashion show come TV spectacle, uh, her, her fashion show for her lingerie line of Savage by Fenty. Ben, Mar, what did you think of it? I loved it. I I love Rihanna. I think she's a goddess, sent worth, but everything she does really makes me really happy, not only because she exists, but also because she gets it. She gets what is happening every year. She gets 2020, she got 2019. She gets every year. Uh, I mean, she understands reality, she understands culture. She, I don't know, she's the best. And she uh, has this Savage X Fenty show and 
she sold diversity, but not at the, just like Luca Guadagnino, not in a forced way. Everything was spectacular. Everything, you were not, oh, look, there's a, a fat model or there's this, uh, I don't know, maybe trans guy. No, it, it just felt natural and beautiful and exciting. And there's, I don't know, I I think it's just a F you to Victoria's Secret CEO and everyone on that team that two years ago said that trans models and plus size models could never walk the BS Victoria's Secret, Victoria's Secret fashion show because they wouldn't be able to ha um, sell the fantasy which is ridiculous and Rihanna said oh come on let me show you something let me show you a little something and she came out with um, Savage um, X Fenty show well, this is the second year she's doing it and I think it's amazing it's clearly a success because I just uh, browsed to see what the pajamas the tuxedo pajamas that are that feature in the show how much if they were still available they're not that expensive but apparently it's all sold out loads of the items are sold out Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I've, I I find it amazing that, that the head of Victoria's Secret would say would say that in the modern world, um, and I don't. I found this interesting because I I'm not particularly interested in fashion. I've never really watched a fashion show before, um, and but it's a very fresh take on it. It's very sort of different, isn't it? I mean, look to me, it looked a lot like a music video, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's not. Ex it's more than a fashion show, or it's a new way of making a fashion show. It's putting all these multidisciplinary forms of art, dancing, uh, the sets even were beautiful, per live yeah. performances, which is not something Rihanna came up with. Like there were live performances in other fashion shows, but I don't know the mix of everything. It it truly was selling a fantasy just what Victoria's Secret wanted to do Rihanna came out and did it with all the letters yeah I mean she did it big time I mean the people performing it felt a little bit like an MTV VMAs uh, because you know you had all these unexpected musical numbers even though they, it, there's a there's credits at the beginning that says who's going to be in it but all of a sudden I was at first I was a little bit like getting a little bit tired with the with the voiceovers like oh you know mm -hmm. speaking yeah. super transcendentally yeah. about mm -hmm. no, dude you're just selling lingerie let's not get carried away but all of a sudden boom Rosalia appears and fire you know I, I was like wow she's she's looking great as always it's great to see Rosalia among all these pop giants and holding her own and being totally fabulous for the minutes that she has then you see um, Miguel uh, and, and the cool thing is that most of them were live performances or at least their vocals were so you got the feeling that that, that you do it that you that you get from enjoying uh, shows like MTV Awards or big award mm -hmm. shows and like that. So I thought this was a very revolutionary way of presenting a fashion show in the times of pandemic when, you know, we just saw Paris Fashion Week that a, lo uh, a lot of fashion shows had to be remotely attended to by the uh, by the members of the fashion press. Um, Eugenia de la Torriente, uh, director for Vogue Spain, was talking about how she was filmed on a uh, with a with her with a with a blank screen behind her and then they projected her along with oh other God. directors and and writers on the runway and they filmed it you know so they're all trying all these multimedia kind of experiments 
which uh, is interesting from a professional point of view and especially because the goal is to sell the fantasy, sell the clothes, make sure that as many people can get to see it and then eventually end up buying it, right? So you can see that that industry is going to do fine and this was a very strong example of how to do it, how to do it with a lot of credibility. Rihanna is, after all, a pop star before being a, a garment designer. Uh, so it, the, the, her message of diversity and inclusivity is what really shines through throughout, mm -hmm. even though she has like Travis Scott, Young Thug, mm -hmm. Miguel, Rosalia, uh, Willow Smith. By the way, the th guest appearances are amazing. I loved every single one of them and I was super surprised by some of them. I, I well, Bella Hadid and Irina Shaik and all of these top models, I was like, yes. Mm. I love them, but Demi Moore was there. I yes. was like, wait, wait a second, I have to pause. Is that is that Demi Moore on lingerie moving to this choreography in a Rihanna show? I'm I wasn't expecting it, but yes, give it to me. There was a lot of singers who were not singing, but kind of performing or walking the the, the catwalk. I, it, was, it was super cool seeing Lizzo, Rico Nasty, Normani, but also or Willow Smith, who looked incredible. I think she's the most stunning woman How? on earth. I, I know, she's she's grown up she, a lot. She <laughs> is beautiful. She I, And her she, voice and everything, because she yeah, speaks she, at some point, no? And yeah, she's like, yeah. you know, she's like... She wow. doesn't sing, but she's just there gracing her beauty. But also there's um, Paris Hilton. Yeah, that, okay. The Paris Hilton <laughs> oh, thing caught me, on, caught me off guard because she appeared with her hair dyed a darker tone. You know, Paris Hilton has always been iconically golden blonde. And all of a sudden she's like darker blonde and her skin... I don't want to say that she did blackface, but let's just say she was more Acapulco than Paris. Acapulco Hilton. For a moment, I thought it was Ariana Grande. It's like, hey, what's going on? I had to pause. And it's like, oh, it's dark Paris. I think we can say definitely she isn't doing blackface. She just had a tan. She had a tan? Okay. I mean, but she's, yeah, she's always been tandy, but this was... You can get out of hand. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. We excuse it from the Fenty fashion show, but let's not get too crazy with tans because, yeah, you can... There's a line between blackface and tanning way too much. <laughs> Can I say as well, I really, I was really impressed with the way they dealt with the sort of controversy. Like it was pointed out that, that she'd used a track from Cuckoo Chloe mm -hmm. called Doom, uh, which samples a sacred Islamic text. Mm -hmm. um, somebody pointed it out uh, on, on social media and Rihanna, rather than throwing her toys out of the pram, getting very angry, said, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. We'll change it. And it was just like, yeah. God, what an ad, like, this is how adults behave. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, it, I can't believe we're exactly. going to sort of pop stars for adult behavior and politicians are behaving like babies. And she just went out and publicly apologized. Like, if you do something wrong, if you are, were ignorant about something, you just go out and apologize for it. And, and I think she truly did it heartfelt. And I love that she's taking accountability and it, that makes even a better show and it makes her even a better woman that she actually, she is it's, it's amazing i love her and and obviously you you read that piece on teen vogue where the, the the writer was talking about how he had gone through bullying at school for being overweight and you know they would make fun of him in the changing rooms and seeing that model who mm -hmm. is you know who is dancing and mm -hmm. super proud of his body even though uh, what he would be considered plus size by mm -hmm. a fashion brand or whatever you know he's, he's got his his uh, his man boobs out no this the, the the article talks about this about how the the writer had man boobs and he would get bullied for this and that seeing this person dance and and bear everything and proudly it made him cry with pride and stuff it was 
it was quite a moving text. I, I, I was totally caught off guard by Teen Vogue. I didn't know they had such woke articles. Well, we yeah. were going to talk about Teen Vogue today. I don't think we've got the time, but maybe we should do it another day. We love yeah. Teen Vogue. We're going to leave you with a sneak peek that Teen Vogue is, is a movement. It's something else, if you don't know about it yet. I mean, you, you did a list of some of the things you yeah. read in there, um, which is like, who is Karl Marx? Meet the anti-capitalist scholar. New York's Queer Liberation March was a reminder of why we need to abolish the police and how your computer reinforces systemic racism, which is amazing. Amazing. Tim Vogue, read it. Be a teen girl, be intelligent, be woke, be self-aware. Read Tim Vogue. It's, it's everything. So there is hope in the world's, t- the current teenagers. Exactly. Hmm? With Fenty fashion shows, Luca Guadagnino's vision of of, of army brats and uh, and 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 pink, uh, what's it called, binkies, blinks, blinks. Sorry, so, I'm sure there must be binkies somewhere. No, For, blinks is a great name. Blinks is a fabulous name. Blink and you'll miss it. Um, <laughs> Uh, this has been a, a wonderful show. I felt yeah. like a teenager all over again. Yeah, we were not mad. Well, maybe you didn't. You expect a little bit more of Black Blackpink, but we overall were super happy about everything, which is rare because I feel like I'm always criticizing something and. Everything seems great this week. It's the most unteenage thing we've done because usually when we were teenagers, we're grumpy and everything is against us and the world doesn't understand us and, and I want, I want, I want, gimme, 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 mine, mine, mine. Do you want some love brown sugar? I would love some brown sugar so with this, Michael Lacau. This was a uh, one of the highlights of the Savage uh, Fenty uh, show, Lizzo dancing to brown sugar. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you next week. Tell you about this girl, maybe I should.